This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks for taking the time to join us on today. Special welcome, those of you listening for the first time, welcome to the World of UX. We're glad that you took time out of your busy schedule to listen to what we have to share about this discipline that we know, love, and respect on today. We're going to have what I refer to as a, I think of this today as a, a special edition talking shop session. And today I've got my special guest today. Somebody is with me. We're going to to cover these topics together. Uh, one of our frequent uh, visitors here to the world of UX, Michelle Packran. Welcome to Hello. Michelle Packran. <laughs> Hello. So Michelle is going to join us here on today. And we're going to, the reason I call this a special edition of Talk and Shop is because we're going to focus on a set topic and a few related subtopics. And the topic we're going to cover in this session is the dangers of toxic positivity. Again, we're going to talk about the dangers of toxic positivity. Now, for those of you new to the podcast, let me preface everything we're about to do by addressing the fact, something that I say a lot on this show is that UX is about much more than the work. If all you focus on is the methods, methodologies, techniques, and deliverables, you're going to be eventually, at some point in time, you're going to end up being at a gross disadvantage because truth be told, it's pretty much more than half of what we do as a UX person has nothing to do with the methods, methodologies, techniques, and deliverables where we're selling we're providing customer service, we're providing thought leadership, we're managing bias and politics, uh, we're doing a whole bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with your wireframes and certainly not your Figma. So for that reason, that's why the show is called what it's called, The World of UX, and, and that's really sort of metaphorical in the sense that that means that we're talking about everything that's related to the discipline. Yeah, we talk about the work, but we need to talk about these things that are usually not covered by anybody and are not on people's radars that will come back and bite you and bite me and have us in a position that we can't navigate our way out of. I'd rather have you filled in on something before the fact than to be in a situation and go, what in the world do I do now? So we're going to cover some things that are really sort of give you a little bit of the end from the beginning. Toxic positivity is something that is creating problems for a lot of people in UX today. And so we want to sort of cover some things to help people give you, give you more of a uh, position of advantage to help you to be ahead of the game, to help you to thrive in the midst of a situation that might be detrimental, not being your best interest, uncomfortable things of that nature. But before we get into all the stuff today, and I'm probably doing, should have done this the other way around, uh, but everybody doesn't know Michelle. So Michelle, uh, let's go ahead and have you dive in with the intro here first and foremost, and then we will get into 
our discussion today. Okay. Hello. Uh, I'm Michelle Packron. Um, let's see. I am currently head of UX design at a digital agency in Houston. I've been in this industry for about 24 years now. Uh, my background is old school, went to school for graphic design and psychology and, you know, became a web designer and then web design kept rolling and rolling and then it was UX and I was like, well, here I am. Uh, so I've just <laughs> been kind of leveling up for 24 years. And I also recently last year got an MBA because I was like, what the heck? Let's let's get a business degree on top of it. Why not? Um, <laughs> which is very helpful uh, once you get into management. It's amazing. Yes. Um, where where that comes into play. Uh, so I think that was a good uh, fit for me. But um, we definitely should have a whole conversation one day just about business and UX. Yes. I, I'm constantly telling my people, I'm like, you should be thinking about this all the time. Everything you do, what's the ROI of your work and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, we could talk about that <laughs> all day. Um, but let's see. Yeah, that's me. That's me. Awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> and for those that did not know, um, Michelle is the head of UX at Chai One, uh, which is an agency down in Texas. Uh, so just so you're aware, so you have, if you have needs of some agency support, look up Chai One. Look up, look up Michelle. Look her up on LinkedIn. Tell you now, not gonna wait till the end of the show. Look <laughs> her up. Uh, connect with her, and 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 people who who have great things to say are of tremendous value in UX. This is what are gonna get us into our our topic here today. Uh, there's a lot of people that are talking. There's a lot of videos. There's a lot of TikTok stuff going on there, stuff on Instagram, uh, stuff on Twitter, stuff on LinkedIn, uh, stuff on, I almost hate saying this, Reddit. There's a lot of people, because uh, folks know I do not like Reddit. I have no respect for Reddit whatsoever. <laughs> um, but you have all of this content, and and there is the assumption Usually by those who are just coming into the discipline that if somebody's talking about UX, hey, I want to listen to it. I want to learn. And and there is this naive, I used to be there too, admittedly, there's this naive mindset that everybody who's talking about UX is worth listening to. And everybody that's talking about UX is saying something that's going to vault me forward in my in my attempt to to broaden my my skill set, my acumen within the discipline. And, and what people don't realize is that everybody doesn't have something to say that's in your best interest. Everybody's not going to say something. And then sometimes people, they're, they're on one minute and off the next. Uh, that does happen. We were just talking about that before we started recording. Uh, but there is this thing, toxic positivity, that it's something that the, the, the hearer, the learner, the person that's partaking of something, the consumer, it's an attitude that that individual brings to the table when anybody is dispensing whatever it is that they're dispensing. And it's something that is our responsibility uh, as a committee of one in our own little individual kingdom, if you will, something that pertains to each one of us individually, that if we embrace toxic positivity, it puts us in a position where we are at a gross disadvantage. We are ripe for 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 sort of like imposing detrimental impact upon ourselves because we're partaking of something that puts us in a frame of mind that's not beneficial, fruitful, helpful, trustworthy, reliable, all of these things. So so all those things said, I want to, before we jump have, get into our jumping off points here, I want to give you the definition because some people are still, after all that, 
Oh, somebody saying, okay, Darren, I hear you, but what in the world is toxic positivity? I think I've heard it a couple of times, but can you give me a definition? Why, sure, I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> so the definition of toxic positivity, according to psychology today, they say toxic positivity is the act of avoiding, suppressing, or rejecting negative emotions or experiences. I repeat, toxic positivity is the act of avoiding, suppressing, or rejecting negative emotions or experiences. And, and so that's the definition. I want to throw a caveat out there for starters. I've said it before on the show. I'm sure Michelle's heard me say this before. I am not a fan of the words positive or negative at all. Uh, they're too subjective and, and they mislead. Because instead of, and let's jump straight to the chase here, instead of positive and negative, I challenge people to embrace constructive and destructive. Yeah. Everything that you call positive, call that constructive. And what you look at as negative, call that destructive. And, and it already invites us to a frame of mind that's more aligned with that of critical thinking. Because in order to identify what's constructive or destructive, you have to not just look at what you partake of or what's been presented to you. You have to look at how it's going to impact you. Because truth be told, things that some people consider to be positive are actually destructive. And some things that some people consider to be negative are actually constructive. They help you get better. They help you build. They help you grow. Hence our topic for today. Toxic positivity, when people avoid something because of how it makes them feel, because they they feel they they look at themselves and they feel like they're less than what they might feel like they're entitled to be. They don't like they don't that really made me feel bad. You made me feel like I don't know anything. You you Maybe made you me don't. You, <laughs> <laughs> you make me feel like I haven't accomplished anything. There's this little thing out there. Maybe you heard of it. It's called truth. Truth will make you. Have you ever? I remember one day, and then we'll get these topics right after this. I, I just got to mention this. I think it's hilarious. I went to work one day. I was working at a creative agency in Detroit, Michigan, and it's now known as VML YNR. I got to work. I have a picture of this. I get to work. And I'm, I'm walking around. I'm doing my thing. Uh, contrary to what the trolls say, I'm actually doing work. I don't know what these people said. Darren Hood doesn't do any work. What? Uh, okay, go away. You, you, that's just silly. Um, that's just that, that's just insanity. I mean, that that, that that has that person on leave? Did that are they they got a, a day pass from the asylum? <laughs> you know, <laughs> get out of here with that. It, this is stupid. I I I I'm walking around and I look down, Michelle. I have on Mitch match shoes. <laughs> I had two pairs of shoes that were almost identical, and I got dressed in the dark that morning. Oh, God. I think my wife had the day off and I didn't want to disturb her. <laughs> and, and and the okay, these both loafers, black and brown loafers with tassels on them. I forgot that I had two similar pairs and I grabbed one each of the wrong shoe. And I didn't it was it was like around noon when I realized that I had on the wrong shoes. And it became a, a running joke the rest of the day. I took a picture of it. You've been like, I, I did this on purpose. <laughs> I That's right. <laughs> I spent an entire day with my shirt on inside out and backwards. It was like, oh, well, okay. But how many, you know, 
Yeah, but how many of us have done something like that, right? Good foundation here. How many of us have done something like that? What do you, you made do? a mistake as a human? Yeah. <laughs> and when you do it, what do you do? Do you accept do, it? Do you face the fact that you did it? I chose yeah. to laugh. I, I found humor in the thing. And mm-hmm. I accepted the fact that I messed up. I did something different to help eliminate the fact that I would duplicate that error in the future. Because <laughs> okay. I wasn't going back home to change my shoes. I didn't have another pair in the car. I did what I did. When somebody has toxic positivity, they'll try to put a spin on it. They'll try to do whatever they can to suppress the reality of the fact that they made the mistake or flat out because all everything that's wrong isn't a mistake. Sometimes it's just poor judgment. Yeah. If it was poor judgment, you got to face the fact that it's poor judgment in our UX operation. There are times that we have poor judgment. We make bad recommendations sometimes things of that nature. So you don't want to toxic positivity yourself into this place where you're on cloud nine, even though you just messed up, you don't want to put a spin on it to make it look like you accomplished something. You accomplish nothing for discipline. It requires a great deal of ethics. It is critical that we embrace truth and face things for what they are instead of trying to put a spin on everything and trying to feel good about it and, and reject uh, rejecting the net quote unquote, I'll say it for the purpose of the definition, rejecting the negative emotions and experiences because you don't want to be associated with how that's making you feel. When the truth is, if that depiction is actually accurate, it's important to embrace it. That's where the learning is. <laughs> exactly. You don't learn from success. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't find I like right now I'm teaching myself silversmithing. Uh-huh. It's all failure. Oh okay. It's every day. Like, <laughs> I did that wrong. That is not how you solder. I need uh-huh. to try that again. Okay, that worked. Cool. It's all day long screwing up. And instead of me like having a conniption fit and like I'm dumb, I'm like, all right, that did not work. Okay, yep. what did you learn from that? And then you move on. And then you, every time I make something, I get a little bit better and I go, okay, so that is what happened here. And I'm like, I don't learn from success. I don't. If if something is easy for me, I assume it's just easy. And that's why I was able to do it. And I learned nothing. I only learn when I screw stuff up and I struggle through it. And then I get better and better and better. And I think you have to embrace the negative, embrace the mistakes, embrace what you don't know, and lean into it in a way where, not that you celebrate like I'm a dummy, but (laughs) being aware of what you don't know is how you know where you need to go. It's yes. how you know what you need to learn and study. It gives you a path and you don't have a path if you just assume everything you do is amazing and it's okay if I don't know anything right now. Nobody knows anything right now and I'll just keep pretending I don't know anything. And anybody who actually goes and anyone who has feedback that isn't celebrating where I am all the time, um, you know, I'm going to ignore all that. That's the information that's going to help you do better. You know, when people reach out to me on LinkedIn, a lot of people used to message me and ask me, hey, can you look at my portfolio? And sometimes on Debbie's um, Slack thing, I'll look at people's portfolios. And, you know, I am not someone who's I'm not built that way to like, oh, this is all great. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, fix this, fix this. And here's why. Because I figure 
ain't nobody got time for that. You don't want to hear fluff, right? <laughs> Who wants to hear fluff, right? So I'm very like, let me get to the point of how you can get better. And here's why you need to get better. Yes. And maybe it's because my brain is just wired that way. I don't like fluff. I, you know, even at work, we have this thing on Slack where we have, it's called, um, karma and you can like put someone's name in and do plus plus and it'll give people like karma mm-hmm. and i it, it makes me kind of uncomfortable sometimes because i'm like sometimes people get karma just because they literally did their job and my brain is wired like yay you, you showed up today and you, you did your job mm-hmm. like i'm not <laughs> wired that way i'm like you better do something amazing you want to get karma from me baby um <laughs> <laughs> So that's just kind of how I'm wired. Yeah. So I'm always, I, I'm very like a realist and I just accept at this point in my life, what I don't know mm-hmm. and I'm fine with it. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is, is I'm hyper aware of what I don't know to the point of kind of insanity sometimes, but I'm constantly <laughs> evaluating everything about myself and going, okay, you screwed up. Like, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I, I interviewed someone. I was helping to interview someone recently uh, for a position and I read their resume and I had an instantaneous like idea about who they were. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to like this person. This person's not going to be a good fit. And I was one million percent wrong. And I remember after that, I was like, you know what? You were wrong. Like there's a little voice in my head who's like, Mm-mm, no, you didn't. And it's like telling me you had a freaking error in thinking you were just, you were wrong and you need to accept it. And I was like, I accept it. And this is the conversation me with myself. I'm a uh-huh. cuckoo bird. But anyway, I'm sitting there <laughs> fussing to myself in my head, but you made a judgment error here and you need to accept it. And I was like, I do stop pointing at me. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's fun in my head. I tell you, yeah. um, but it, it doesn't matter how smart you are. You're going to be wrong. You're going to make mistakes. Yes. And you have to accept it. And that's the only, if there's anything I'm like super good at in this world is that I will tell you, I'll be the first one to tell you I screwed up. I don't pretend yeah. for one second that I'm, that I didn't, I will take responsibility for everything because it, it don't bother me because I know that that's how you grow and that's how you get better. So I think you have to just accept what you don't know and accept Feedback from people. Now, there are going to be I don't think you should accept all feedback. Sometimes people mm. just want to say stuff to tear you down. And that's the negative to be ding dongs and they yep. just want to hurt you or they their brains are wired for logical fallacies and they're just pulling them out left and right. Uh, feel free to ignore stupid because I sure the yes. hell do. Yes. Uh, it, recognize when people are just telling you stuff. Not because they want to see you grow and are trying to give you like a seed that you can water and make into something amazing. They just want to give you some some crap that ain't going to make yeah. nothing grow. Uh, learn <laughs> to, to find that and just just let it go. Like ignore. I think I went off on a tangent. What, what did you ask? <laughs> That's okay. No, we, we're, we're good. You just make me you made me think of something. I mean, three things crossed my mind, but I'm I'm only going to mention one for now. And it's that when you talked about all that basically what I like to call owning when whatever you've done, whether it's good or bad, whether it's, whether it's constructive or destructive, if it's your behavior, it's what you did own it. And and that self-awareness that's EQ. That's, that's the first ingredient to being emotionally intelligent is to be self-aware, whether you are strong in a given area or you have an area that needs development. If you know it, embrace it, and are not in denial 
about the areas where you need to grow, you're on a good path. And in order to excel in UX, we need to do that. And somebody says, it's not just UX. No, it's not. But this is a UX show. So we're talking about UX. So own it. Own it. Own it. I I'm, I need to develop in this area. I, I, one thing off the top of my head, an area I want to develop in. I want to learn more about service design. I do not know that much about service design. I'm learning it. Right. I'm, I'm taking an IDF course on it. Awesome. From Frank Spiller's. That's fantastic. I awesome. highly recommend. Ooh, highly great. Recommend. Okay. He's, Thank you. He's great. I don't know if you've ever taken any of his courses before. I'm, I'm sitting here like, IDF ain't paying me, but... Um, <laughs> Shout out to Frank Spiller. He's Spillers. really good. He, he, I really enjoy his content. He's really smart. I took his uh, management course that he had on IDF uh, a few years ago, and it was uh-huh. really good. But um, I'm about halfway through the service design one because it's a lot, and I'm busy, but it's really good. So, okay, good. Anyway. Good. So that's a place for me to go. Now, mm-hmm. I add that to my personalized learning network. Yeah. I, I'm connected to Frank on LinkedIn. I reach out yeah. to him and ask him because maybe I'll see if I can get access to the course outside of IDF. Uh, but you know, long story short, just I'll wrap that up there. Yeah. Be aware, Darren Hood needs to grow in the area of service design. It's not something I've been able to do in any of my jobs. It's something that I think could become extremely valuable in my new job that I just started recently. Let me dive in. So, as a matter of fact, I go looking for shortcomings. I go looking for areas. To develop, I look at areas that I think I have a solid grasp on, and then sort of I call it emptying yourself of yourself. Forget the fact that you know it, and sometimes expose yourself to the topic like you're seeing it for the first time. I found that that's beneficial because you'll identify areas that you could still sharpen up, a place that you had a good grasp on. You find a way to improve, even in that arena. So, and I find that's the only way to do it. So, own it. Be aware of yourself. And when you do it, this is part of the road to overcoming toxic positivity. And we could think yeah. of think of the show as, as focusing on that too. But we can't overcome something until we understand what it is and then we navigate around yeah. it. And that's what we're going to get at today. Yeah. There are what toxic positivity is not though, is not the rejection of positivity. Because I think <laughs> that's the first thing I think people are going to be yeah. like is why are you? Get knowing people were positive. It be positive, <coughs> you know, in a in a good place. Think good thoughts about yourself. That's all of that is good. You know, when I screw something up and I'm like, I almost set myself on fire. Oh, I should be positive about the self that I didn't. Yay. And not like <laughs> get that mad at myself because I'm a ding dong and I forgot to do the safety check uh before I, you know, turned on a torch in my house. Um, but <laughs> the the non-toxic part is instead of me like going and crying in a corner, you know, or being, you know, have magical thinking that it doesn't matter what I do. I'm going to magically not set the house on fire because, yes, I will. I know myself enough to know I'm a goofball and I have to put guardrails on myself or I will set things on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Self-awareness. So, yeah. I have I have plenty of self-awareness <laughs> that tends to go out the window when I go to do things because I know this enough enough about myself that I am impulsive and I want to do something and I'll have an idea and I'll be like, ching, 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 got the torch in my hand and then forget like, you know, it's kind of like there's a reason why airplane pilots, even if they've been doing it for like 100 years, still have a checklist because yes. you forget critical things and then you've crashed 
plane. Well, if I do that, I've set the house on fire. Um, so what am I saying? Be positive, but be realistic. Yes. And know yourself That's enough it. to know when you need to put guardrails on things. If you're like really open person, right? Maybe you just think everybody is amazing and just assume everyone is is a is a perfectly wonderful human being and everything they're telling you is great. You might need to learn that you're wrong and that people are crazy out there. <laughs> and you've got to learn how to evaluate what people say before you just go give everybody a big old bear hug. Bingo. Because there are people out there who are trying to murder you, either <laughs> literally <laughs> or, uh, you know, with they're stupid. Um, so if you know that about yourself, then you could be like, okay, I have this, I have too much positivity. Let me put guardrails on myself uh, and learn to, uh, I know me, whenever I am interviewing people, I just want to give everybody the job. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I have a lot of trouble um like saying bad things about people because I'm like, oh, and I'm like, I'm ridiculous. I'm a ridiculous <laughs> person. And when I, while I'm interviewing people, I have to remind myself, it's like, you can't hire everybody. Calm down. You have to be objective. It's so hard for me. And I have to keep telling myself, you, you've got to put guardrails on that part of your personality yep. because of it. So know what you're weak at. Put those guardrails in place and be positive about it, but accept when you're going to make mistakes and accept when people have, you know, criticism because they, it might, even if it's your own criticism, like, you know, where you're like, dummy, what are you doing? You just set the house on, don't do that. Right. Listen to yourself. <laughs> trust yourself sometimes. Um, see, I keep going off on tangents. That's okay. Coral. That's okay. No, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> and, and, and to sum all that up, I'd say be realistic. They, be really keep looking up uh, onward and upward. As I always say onward and upward, uh, but be realistic. Don't be so onward and upward that you're ignoring that there's a, a warning sign that there's a red flag. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the dangers of toxic positivity is because you'll see a warning sign. You'll see a red flag. And it's not because you were being paranoid it's not because you're being cynical, because uh, those are something that is like the opposite of toxic positivity. Uh, when when people take those on pity parties, it is the opposite of toxic positivity. But if you're driving down the street and there's a sign that says dead end, you don't want to go down that street. Not unless you're stopping at a house before the dead end. If, if there's a sign that says road out, you don't want to go down. So toxic positivity will see a blatant warning sign. And to still find a reason to ignore it. That's when you know that you're you're fooling around in the arena with toxic positivity. When when there, there's something there that says you should not eat this. You you picked up the Drano. You want something to drink, and you picked up a bottle of Drano, and there's a there's a skull and crossbones on it. Don't don't say you know my system can handle it. No, it can't. So so realism is is what we're really talking about today yeah. and and it's something that's missing with a lot of folks in UX and this is not a criticism it's it's an encouragement it, it's because yeah. a lot of people Michelle's seen it I've seen it I know a lot of other people who see it we talk to people about it all the time and I see a lot of people toxic positivity you know what it actually does we haven't even gotten to these we'll get to them uh, I see a lot of people they get they they get on the bandwagon of toxic positivity and they decide I know I knew somebody once that decided you know what? They had like less than a year of experience in UX 
and they decided that, you know, a lot of us that are new to UX, we need more support. So they went out and started a support group for new UX people. Um, meant well, okay. uh, good idea. Uh, that's all fine and dandy, but toxic positivity drove the person to launch out into that venture without being in a position to actually execute and support it. They didn't have the acumen. <laughs> they didn't have the ability to give any, any advice, nothing. And, and, you know and that what this reminds me of? Do you ever watch <laughs> Hell's Kitchen? Not Hell's Kitchen, the other show he has. Gordon Ramsay's got a has a show where he goes to people's restaurants that are failing I know and the tries show. to help them. I, know I can't the, remember don't know the name of it, but, but I know the show. Yeah. Over and over again, it kills me. He'll go into a restaurant where the 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 cook, the owner is it is in outer space. They think their food is delicious. They think that they're and they're never chefs, they're just Joe Blow who decides he can cook. It's all frozen crap. It's garbage. The food is literally like inedible, nasty crap. And Gordon's trying to tell them, hey, like this dude knows what he's talking about. He's a world renowned chef, owns restaurants, all that good stuff. And he's trying to tell them this is disgusting. You can't serve food like this. You can't have dead rats in your kitchen. You can't do this. And they're like, oh, oh you ain't going to tell me I ain't an amazing chef and my food isn't. the most. And I'm like, these people are crazy. But it's every <laughs> single episode. And to me, that is what a lot of people are, are like in this great industry. Night, is that yeah. You've got Gordon Ramsay telling you your UX is bad. And you're like, uh-uh, you, you don't know nothing. Shoot. And yep. I'm just like, y'all are all nuts. <laughs> yep. That and, and that's that's a that's a great that's a great comparison. That's what's happening. And they they label us as gatekeepers. They think that we don't care. Actually, I think we care a lot of us care too much. And a lot of times and we put ourselves out there and people don't realize the risks oh, yeah. that yeah. we take by doing what we do. They don't realize yeah. the sacrifices that we make by being willing to tell people what they need to hear. You have uh, spinach in your teeth. You have a nail in your tire. Remember the old the old uh, story of the emperor's new clothes. You know, you think you're sharp, but you're actually butt naked. You know, who we're gonna be the one that's gonna right. tell somebody that? Some of us are willing to do that, and to do that, we put ourselves in a position where there's groups of people who who actually mobilize against us because of the willingness to say it. But really, we're trying to keep people out of a, a state of toxic positivity because it is a destructive force. It will wear you out and you'll never understand usually until it's too late in many instances, depending upon how deep somebody is in it. You, it it's like you're not recoverable after a certain point or it just takes a whole lot of work to get a person back after they've gone there. You want to recognize What's going on with you as soon as possible if it's something that need a, a part of the ship that needs to be righted? You, the, the sooner you find out, the better. Yeah. You don't you know, like the, the example with the Gordon Ramsay. If these people go out and open restaurants and ignore what this senior, uh, let's say it that way, uh, has to say to help you out, how much money are you going to lose? How many sleepless nights are you going to have? How, how much headache? Are you going to have to endure before you realize that you got a roadmap to get out of that X number of months or X number of years ago? This is what I'm seeing, that, that they fight against the Debbie Levitts. They fight against the Nick Fines. They fight against the, the Tony Moras. 
of the world. The people, some of the people who are out here who are willing, who are bending over backwards to give people these insights. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so we're just, we're trying to help. I'm not even going to spend a lot of time explaining it anymore because you either hear it or you don't, you understand it or you don't. And, and someone the other day I was talking about Reddit and someone I was talking about how I don't like Reddit. I have no respect for it. I detest it was what I actually said. I utterly detest Reddit. And they said, Reddit is the most, it is the most diverse community on the, on the internet. And I'm going, are you kidding me? And, and, and the person continues to, Shoot things down. They even asked me if I had data. You know when people are telling you what they've observed, they don't have any documented data. That's a troll act. Trolls like to bring up requests or some kind of criteria that they know nobody can is going to produce. So they and then they use that to dismiss what's being said. When something in the back of their mind knows that what you're saying is accurate, but they're trying to find an excuse, which and that's akin to toxic positivity. Really, when you look at that, and and then somebody who who had firsthand knowledge. Of, of Reddit's operation came back to me, saw the uh, heard about the conversation and came back later and said, no, you were right. The uh, the dominant voice on Reddit is white males from, I think they said 24 to 36. Oh, yeah. Not, so, now, it's a huge community. So obviously <laughs> there are pockets of oh, diversity and stuff. Always. But it's by and large a, a certain group of people. Yep. Uh, and even in the U.S. community, because every once in a while I'll, I'll jump in 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 the UX channels uh, on there, just because I hate seeing stupid. And if someone's <laughs> trying to steer someone the wrong way, my yeah. brain just goes, "Oh no!" And then I'm like, I feel like this need to come jump in. So every once in a while, I'll jump in. Um, but there's a lot of just it's it's the anonymity of it. It's because you can't be checked. Yeah, you know, it, like in the real world, there's stuff people are willing is will are willing to say um, on these forums. Um, or on Twitter, even if it's got your name next to it. And I'm like, people, what you say on Twitter is forever. What you say on LinkedIn <laughs> is forever. I, I'm like, come on, baby. This is in the way back machine. Uh, 50 years from now, people are going to be way back in the dumb things you said. Um, don't do not do it. But anyway, people are going to do what they do. That's yeah. fine. I think that's a good jumping off point. point. Let's get into these topics before we, we end up not oh, getting sorry. to them at all. But <laughs> Dunning-Kruger. Yes. We talked about that. This is one of the things that's birthed out of toxic positivity, something that we think that we can we can help people to avoid. And I know that you have some yeah. stuff about Dunning-Kruger. Let's dive in there. Yeah. So I, I'm literally I'm teaching a class right now at Harrisburg University on uh, deceptive design. And part of it is the section is on cognitive biases. So I'm actually writing the curriculum on that right now. Literally this morning, I wrote the slide for Dunning-Kruger. And then when we started talking, I was like, you know what? Toxic positivity feeds right into this Mm -hmm. because what Dunning-Kruger is, and I'll read you the definition that I got. um, It says Dunning-Kruger effect occurs when a person's lack of knowledge and skills in a certain area causes them to overestimate their own competence. But there's an opposite side. By contrast, this effect also causes those who excel in a given area to think the task is simple for everyone and underestimate their relative abilities as well. That's someone who goes, oh, I'm amazing at at doing like quantum physics, so it must be easy because you don't even, you don't have enough (laughs) like cognizance of how smart you actually are. You just assume if I can do it, it must be because it's super easy and I'm not actually like a super genius. By the way, I can't do quantum physics. I am not a super <laughs> genius. I am not referring to myself. Uh, but the opposite of that is 
like you've got, I think one of the notes I wrote here is that it says those who are the most ignorant in the bottom 25% of any skill also overestimate themselves the most. And they do this the most publicly. So the, the biggest voices on LinkedIn, on Reddit, on Twitter, talking heads on TV, uh, probably a, a big chunk of them are the dumbest. They're the people who really know the least about what they're talking about, but they think in their head that they're the smartest. They think that the 30 seconds of Googling they did is comprehensive research. Mm-hmm. Look at what happened when COVID started. And Dr. Fauci, you know, obviously this dude knows what he's talking about. He's the freaking doctor. He he knows what he's talking about, about COVID and about viruses. But this other person over here did 30 seconds of Googling. So they did that <laughs> research. Dang it. Do yours. Um, they now know everything about COVID and vaccines and everything else. And they're this huge, big voice drowning out this man with decades of, of expertise and uh-huh. knowledge and PhDs. Yep. No, no, no. He doesn't know what he's talking about. My 30 seconds of Googling does. Um, this is everywhere. And it's not just in UX. It's literally everything politics, science, everything on earth that we can think of, the people usually who are yapping the most know the least. And then the people who really do know the most, a lot of times we are so straightjacketed by our own constraint, lack of cognizance yeah, of constraint. what we actually know Yeah, that we are sometimes afraid to speak out because you just assume, oh, I can't actually know what I'm talking about and be that smart. You know, I'm not that smart. Everybody's smart. Everybody knows this, blah, 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 blah. So many people ignore what they actually know. It, it took me years before I started, like, talking Same here. on LinkedIn and stuff, yep. you know, because I was just like, I I didn't want to come across like I was trying to say that I knew more than someone else. And then you get to the point where you're like, well, damn it, I kind of do know more than other people. (laughs) Maybe not everybody on earth, but good grief. I've been doing this for a while, for a hot minute. I actually do know some stuff. And, you know, maybe I have to say something sometimes, but it took me a long time to actually admit that I I knew something that other people didn't. Mm Mm-hmm. And I definitely suffer from this, uh, probably both sides. Everybody, that's the point thing is, is that nobody's special. Uh, When you study biases, you'll learn everybody on earth, even people who study cognitive biases, suffer from cognitive biases. You're not going to like learn your way out of this. You're just going to be, if you study this stuff, you will get to the point where you can recognize when they're happening sometimes and go, oh, wait, wait, wait. Is this true? The number one thing that I've taught myself on my journey is to ask myself constantly, is this true? If I hear something somebody says about something crazy, one time my dad, God bless him, he he passed a few months ago, but he was a conspiracy theorist. And he one time said, um, he goes, Michelle, there's a planet. It's a rogue planet. And it's out of control in the the universe. And it's spinning towards (laughs) Earth. I was like, daddy, do you... Is that true? Do you, mm, okay. And I was like, I'm going to have to um, look that up. No, there's, yes, there is kind of a planet, but it's not like it's spinning in our Milky Way, like, come or the, what, what are we called? This solar system, whatever. Yeah. God, Lord, not the Milky Way. That's the whole galaxy. Um, but it was just so funny the way he told, he made it sound like, kind of like an Armageddon, like there's an asteroid coming to Earth. He made it sound yeah. like there's a whole planet and it's on a collision course with Earth. And I'm looking at him like, is that true, Daddy? Is that really true? <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you need to question everything. And I think yeah. if you 
if that becomes your 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 way of being where you question everything, even your own thoughts, um, you'll get better at critical thinking. Yes. And you'll you'll start to apply it on a daily basis and you'll be better able to recognize when you are kind of in the midst of a bias and can kind of pull yourself out of it. But you got to know what the biases are first. You have to know all these errors in reasoning and judgment first before you can, um, you know, catch yourself. Um, and I would definitely say catch yourself before you wreck yourself. I'm a dummy. Uh, before um, <laughs> you try to get other people, you know, where you, you try to like go, oh, you're 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 being um, exposed to a bias right now and you should stop. Um, point the finger at yourself and get really good at um judging your own thoughts and the yes. quality of them um, before you uh, go out on the interwebs and try to judge other people. Yes. So. Yes. You, so you just made too a, much coffee today. I am so sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. You just made me think about something that'll take it. We have a bunch of topics here, but I'm going to jump to the ones that I know that you mentioned. I'm going to scratch the ones that I added today uh, since we already talked about, about a bunch of other stuff, but in the midst of ascribing value to what one knows, and the critical thinking in particular that you mentioned, there is a dearth of critical thinking. But as a result of that, we have a lot of gullibility at work in the world of UX, something that we need to be better at individually, as groups, as teams. Sometimes there's team gullibility and then everybody suffers because the team was gullible about something or people are afraid to stand up and, and ask the question, is that really true? That It takes courage. To do yep. that, uh, and and a lot of people don't don't really exercise that 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 power, if you will, but the gullibility is dangerous on several fronts. The one thing we were going to mention, as we said, we said we were going to talk about with regard to this, is how there are people who seek to 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 profit off of gullibility, so they they basically monetize gullibility. And so let's talk about the monetizing of gullibility and how that's fueled by toxic positivity. The fact that people want to think the best of every situation. Pollyannaism is what some yeah. people call it. Trying yeah. to see the good in everything can not only hurt you, it, it's also making other people rich. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I understand what it's like to, you know, you're new in this field. And so, you know, you're you're so excited about learning about UX and, and getting great and all this stuff. But if all you consume is or the same type of information that's over and over again, that's going, oh, don't listen to those people. They're just old and mean and grumpy, whatever. And you keep listening to the same stuff. And then you've got like gurus who are like, don't let anybody tell you nothing. Everything's amazing. Blah, 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 blah. I think a lot of times you'll find that the people who are um, trying to jump on this and parrot this kind of fluffy stuff, they have a monetary reason for it. That's how they make their money um, on getting you to believe that you can do anything and you're magical and special and just ignore people and, and you know, you can do whatever you want to do in life. Um, we cannot all be rocket scientists. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's just that there is a difference that, you know, people are different. People have different aptitudes. People have different interests, right? Some people are willing to work harder than others. And, you know, you, we not, we're not all going to be doctors or lawyers or, or, you know, UX researchers. 
I am not a UX researcher because I don't have the patience for it, right? My brain is wired to solve, not to uncover. I want to solve problems. And so Mm -hmm. while I'm doing research, my brain keeps trying to solve, which is not (laughs) where you need to be if you're a researcher. You need to be just open to understanding. And my brain wants to solve everything. I'm aware of that enough about myself where I am super happy to let other people do research because that is not my happy place. And even though if I tried super hard, yes, I could be a UX researcher, I don't need to be. Uh, I have strengths over here where I can, you know, employ those. I don't have to sit there and pretend that if I just try hard enough, I can be anything on earth, right? So I think that there's a lot of people out there who want everyone to just stay in this happy place and keep listening to the same stuff over and over again. And this is playing into another kind of bias called confirmation bias. If you're Mm -hmm. constantly or listening to the same people who are just parroting what you are saying or what people like you are saying, and you never, ever listen to contrary voices, you won't know what you're stuck into. It's kind of like with politics. If you just listen to the same people over and over again and the same stations, channels, all that type of stuff, you're going to get stuck and you're not going to get a, a diet that's rich enough and has enough vitamins in it for you to stay healthy. You need to hear contrary opinions. You need to practice critical thinking and you can't practice critical thinking if you're in an echo chamber. You have to get out of it and you have to listen awesome. to other people. You have to ask yourself over and over again, is this true? Okay, what well, is what they're saying is true? Is what the people that I keep listening to all the time saying true? Let me do a little bit more research. Let me get out of my comfort zone. If you don't get uncomfortable, you won't get anywhere. Yep. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable and to feel those negative feelings and to feel weird a little bit. That's where growth is. I I'm, I feel that very, very strongly that if you always are in a little happy place where everything is just so precious, you will not grow. Right, right. And it just made me think about something there. Growth requires discomfort. Yes. <laughs> growing pains are a real thing when yep. you're growing as a child and when you're growing intellectually and in your career, you're going to have pains. You're going to have, you know, valleys of, of awareness of yourself. You know, I like to tell people, look, when I first came out of school, when I was in my twenties, I thought I knew everything. Didn't know anything. Please. (laughs) When I got in my thirties, I then became hyper aware that I didn't know a bunch of stuff and felt like an idiot. And then when I hit 40, I was like, baby, I know, I know what I know. I know what I don't know. I'm cool. (laughs) I know exactly what I need to do. Thank you. You're going to go through these valleys in life, but if you stay stuck in that level a, where you think you're amazed balls, but you're not, you will not grow. You will not get to those next places of yeah. awareness. You made me think of something else too. The people who monetize the gullibility of others, it is a constant business model actually yeah. in the world that people, AOL took advantage of people's ignorance of the internet to make themselves uh, a, 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 <laughs> Because it was a terrible. I learned how to get out of that real quick. Was I was a... like, "This is expensive. <laughs> I need to connect directly to the interwebs." It was terrible. AOL was terrible. But if you you, you we got our little twenty five megabyte computer and thought we had something, and mm-hmm. the AOL we we would get bombarded with AOL. If you didn't, well, you got bombarded on your computer because it became pre installed or it came pre installed. Then even after that, whether you signed up for AOL or not. You got bombarded by CDs, floppy drives, 
always trying to get you to to get on the to get on their service. Uh, and it took the the academic mindset that you were just talking about to go. You know what else is out here? Sprynet, hmm, CompuServe. Hmm. At the time, some people have no idea what I'm talking about. These I are old internet saying. access companies that popular <laughs> ones uh, around the country. Uh, Earthlink. Hmm. I wonder. They were all cheaper than AOL. They all had better overall uh, customer support and features. You don't need some announcement to say you've got mail. You don't need to hear that. But some people, I just love hearing that. For what you're paying extra money for that. Uh, you don't you don't need that. It's the academic mindset has been slowly eroding in our society, and as a discipline, as a discipline that's really only been really mainstream twenty to twenty five years. And I keep saying mainstream, and it's, it just basically cracked the surface. The sprout just came up above the dirt twenty to twenty five years ago with regard to UX. We're still forming. We're still developing. Every discipline is a tree. It takes a long baby time. Fruit right now. Yeah, yeah. Baby. We can't. We just af- got legs, baby. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we can't afford everybody that's coming into the discipline. Welcome. Glad to have you. But understand what you're getting into. And, and when you, if you're gullible, and these people, get to my point, these people who are monetizing gullibility, they know what you want to hear. And they're in the business. So the, the point Michelle was just making, when you hear the same thing over and over again, these people know what these folks want to hear. And they keep saying it. Everything you're doing is great. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't do X, Y, and Z. Well, but what if you can't? What if you can't do X, Y, and Z? You can't do everything. None of us can do everything. None of us are cut out for everything. When I did my series on so you want to be a UXer? It was to try to help people to examine themselves to see, are you really cut out for this? This is what doing the work is really like. People keep telling you UX is easy and, and, and that anybody can do it, but they never bother to tell you what anybody can do it really means. It means that if you if you love it and you dedicate yourself to developing, you can build the acumen necessary to excel. That's what anybody can do it means. To the, to the gullible, anybody can do it means it doesn't take anything. And, and, and unfortunately, a lot of leadership folks, the people in charge of all the big UX layoffs and stuff, a lot of them, they think that UX is easy. A lot of them, because it guides the way you hire. It guides the way you cultivate your team. It, it guides the budget that you allocate to your teams. And, and when you know what the ROI of you, the potential ROI of UX is, you will put your ducks in a row because there's very few aspects of the discipline that will afford you the ROI that that UX will. But you don't get to 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 reap the hundred dollars for every dollar you invest unless you do everything right, and that means that you can't be 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 drowning in toxic positivity and achieve the ROI that you want to get out of UX. Because for every dollar you invest, that means you have to invest it right. If you invest a dollar in UX and that dollar you invested was in things that are tied to misinformation and toxic positivity and Dunning-Krugerism, you're not going to get that ROI. Matter of fact, it's going to be, it's going to hit the reverse. Go ahead. I see your wheels spinning there. 
UX requires us, especially with our clients, to kind of be the voice of reason, which yes. a lot of times means you are the negative Nancy in the room yes. because you are recognizing <laughs> that the bus is about to go off a cliff. You have to be that person. And that is so much of what the job is, Yes, is being removed from all of this product and marketing and sales. They know what everybody wants. They know what we need to build. And then you're like, they don't know nothing. Hold up. Uh, we need to do some X, Y, Z. You as a UX professional are always going to be there to be the voice of reason. You are going to be there to pull the rest of the people in the room out of the floofy floof cloud that they're in yep. where they think they know stuff, but they don't actually have real knowledge. They just have feelings in their tummy. You're the one who's like, uh, you need some Pepto. That's what that is. We need knowledge, yes. not feelings, right? So if you personally, as a UX person, your head is also in the clouds and you're stuck on floofy feelings, how can you possibly help your clients or your stakeholders Absolutely. see the reality in the truth yep. if you can't get out of your own little cloud of fluff? Exactly. Exactly. That's it. That's it. That's one of the biggest threats of toxic positivity. And we are the voice of reason. Uh, so people say, oh, you're a Debbie Downer. If you, if you've ever said, if anybody under the sound of my voice, you've ever said that to another UX practitioner, I challenge you to go back and relive that scenario. Look at what you were trying to address. Look at what that person that you thought was a Debbie Downer said and evaluate it and see if you still feel the same way. A lot of times that, that devil's advocate moment that some people like to call it that took place was the very thing that vaulted the the potential of that project into that into the these the air the arena of success if you will because we considered something that nobody had the courage really to bring up yeah. that's what we do as ux people that's our biggest job to to write the ship to recognize when the ship is headed the wrong way you know, don't say, don't wait until you're looking at it and say iceberg dead ahead. If I can borrow from the Titanic, say, you know what? If we keep on this course for four miles, we're going to run into an iceberg. That's who we are. That's who the U it has nothing to do with Figma, does it? Yeah. <laughs> I still don't even use Figma. Ooh. I still like Sketch, but I don't have to design anymore because I'm a manager lady. But yeah, sorry. But, but and, and you know what I'm getting at. It, it's, it's, <laughs> It's not about the tools. The main impact that we make has nothing to do with any tools whatsoever. And and, and I, I was having a conversation with people at the chit chat hour yesterday and helping out a new UXer and, and trying to help shape their, their thinking. When you're just getting involved, the quicker you discover this, the better off you're going to be. And, yeah. and the thing is, don't worry about communicating with leaders based on, you definitely don't want to use UX oriented terminology you, the the thing that you want to you want to wow them, hit them with some hit them with some value. Hit them with bring money. value. I, I just had this conversation <laughs> last week with my class. I said, yes. look, no, when you when you are talking to stakeholders or executives, they don't care about the research you did. They don't yep. care about any of this stuff about the light. You have to focus on do this. And you will save X Y Z money or make X Y Z money. Yep. that's what they care about. All this other stuff, it might mean something to you. It means nothing to these people. And if you don't learn that stuff now, you're going to just, you're going to put people to sleep. And yep. I'm like, please don't put people to sleep. Don't put me to sleep. I'm always begging my own employees. Don't put me to sleep with your presentation. <laughs> or, whatever. Or, you, or you provoke <laughs> them and you get laid off. 
<laughs> I just keep telling that story that because a lot of companies, I know there, there are some companies with, that this doesn't apply to, but there's a lot of them, especially the bigger companies with the big layoffs. They were all, they've been hiring incorrectly for years yeah. in their UX ranks. And, and so a lot of them laid off people to cover their old tracks. Uh, and because and, and isn't it interesting? It's a reset, you know. Yeah, it is, which is a beautiful word, Be, so perfect level word. Because especially what I was about to say, you see the people being laid off. Who's on LinkedIn hiring the very next week? The same oh, yeah. companies. So somebody's doing a reset. At much lower salaries. <laughs> I think some people have gotten so used to making ridiculous amounts of money working yeah. at places, and you're like. Y'all aren't like scientists. Okay, you're not saving the world. Why do you think you should be making 300 grand a year? I mean, not to, like, we all should want to make a bajillion dollars, but some of these salaries have been so, like, just inflated for so long that I think that a lot of companies are, like, starting to realize, why are we paying this much money? This is nuts. Um, So these same companies that let off those jobs, the new jobs are nowhere near those salaries. And I think that, unfortunately, um, the salaries across the board are going to start leveling out a little bit and maybe normalizing. Hopefully we'll get to a place where they don't go below their true value. Right. Uh, Cause that that's awful. Nobody wants that to happen. But right. I, I think that a lot of the jobs that have been lost have been some of these, I don't know, excessively compensated jobs. Now, of course I'm sure there's plenty of people and I know plenty of people who have lost their jobs um, recently who definitely were not overcompensated. Um, so that's obviously not everybody, right. um, but there's definitely a reset going on in this industry. And I do think that there's a monkey see monkey do going on a little a bit. A lot of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're going to spin into our last subtopic. So we talked about Dunning-Kruger. We talk about monetizing gullibility. And, and it was something you mentioned when we were getting ready for the recording that, and you sort of touched on it a little bit. Already, so we're probably going to end up cutting, uh, hitting two of these. But the fact that some people are trying to get toxic positivity tries to get people to think that anything they do is good, anything they do is great. You're great, you know. You're wonderful. You're laying in a pile of poop, but you're wonderful. It's <laughs> and, and and so let's just talk about that expectations. That's the way I'm going to frame this. Uh, expectations in the discipline. What What is the proper set of expectations and how does toxic positivity threaten that? Toxic positivity threatens a realist mindset. Yeah, it does, yes. Yeah, I thought it was uh, a, a great segue too with the thing you mentioned about the normalizing and the resetting. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I, I teach, one of the classes I teach is on design tools and processes. You used to teach that as well. And one of the things I try to tell the class the very first session is look, we're going to talk about a bunch of processes and stuff and a bunch of tools. The reality is when you actually work in UX, 90% of this stuff you might ever use, right? <laughs> You're building a giant toolbox and it all just depends. We, we, you know, I hate the idea that people are coming out of school thinking 
Every UX gig is going to be the same. You're going to show up. You're going to follow this precious little design process. You're going to do this. You're going to be persona. You're going to make all these cute deliverables and blah, 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 blah. Mm. I'm like, hey, none of that going to be true. Holy <laughs> hell. You're going to work on projects where you're literally yep. told you yep. have 30 minutes to go and do something amazing, right? And yep. if you don't know how to pivot and adjust instantly, you're going to fail yep. because that's the real job, right? You're going to have jobs where you have no access to users and now you're like crud what do i do do i use a user panel where we pay people do i rely on surveys oh my god what do you know what am i doing am i, am I now going to be an analytics person because that's the only data i have access to you are going to be pivoting every day of your life yep. as a uxer and if you don't have a growth mindset and, a, and to me you cannot have a growth mindset unless you're a realist yep. because you can't grow if you don't know what you don't know Yep. You must have that awareness. Yes. So you have to be able to do that. And if you're stuck in a haze of positivity, you can't see what you don't know because of the haze that's wrapped around you, right? Well so you have to get just a little <laughs> bit more. And again, I'm not telling anybody don't be positive. I Because you know someone's going to be like, yeah, I told people not to be positive and to be negative. No, we did not. We did not say that. Uh, I ugh. Straw man, go away. Yeah, you know um, the trolls. That's what the trolls will say. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, being positive is not the same thing as not recognizing reality yes. and refusing to recognize the truth. Toxic positivity is a rejection of reality. Yes. And yep. you will get nowhere doing that. Yep. So you can be an in general positive person and go, you know what? I'm smart enough. Gosh, darn it. People like me. That's totally okay <laughs> to be that SNL character who looks, what's his name? Something smiley or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you can be positive in that regard and, and know enough about yourself to go, I'm not a ding dong. I'm obviously smart enough to function as a human. I can do this, but I'm going to screw up and I'm going to grow. And it's going to be fine. No one's going to die. Hopefully it's all fine. You know? <laughs> Yep. So you can be positive and still be aware of reality and still function in reality and learn how to pivot um, as you're going through it. And if you're going into UX, expect to pivot, expect the unexpected all the time. You're going to learn all these all these cool things um, and they're great. Have a gigantic toolbox, but realize that. Most of the time, you're not going to use all your tools. You're going to use a few at a time. And then one of the things I tell them, all these software programs we're talking about today, five years from now, most of them won't exist. Yep. And they'll be brand new tools. <laughs> so don't act like knowing tools means you know anything. Only thing it means if you know Figma is that you know Figma. That is the extent of, of what that means. Yeah. Doesn't mean you know design. Doesn't mean you know UX, doesn't mean you know research, doesn't mean anything. You just know Figma. Uh, same thing with any of these other tools. There's been tools that I have loved. Um, I was just thinking today about Macromedia. And um, yes. when I remember the day I read the press release that Adobe was buying them and my heart sank because I loved Freehand. Yes. Which was a yes. competitor to Illustrator. Yep. I loved that program. I thought it was just superior. It was so much easier to use. It was smart. 
I yeah. loved fireworks. I fireworks. Loved That's what I was going to say. Fireworks was my <laughs> baby. It was my jam. And I stopped using it, kicking and screaming. I didn't move to sketch. <clears throat> so fireworks, my files literally became corrupted wow. because they stopped upgrading fireworks. Um, but I don't use fireworks anymore. Shoot. Even sketch now, the thing that I went to and then got into Nobody's, you know, everybody's moving on to Figma. Well, guess what? Figma's going to die in a few years, too. This yep. brouhaha with Adobe. Why is Adobe spending $20 billion? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> and did you see the news? Yeah, the, the antitrust or whatever. Yeah. And, I'm, and I was just thinking about that. It's like if they were able to go ahead and buy Macromedia, who was a clear competitor, direct competitor to Adobe at the time, because every program they had Adobe had a, a competing one. If they were able to do that back then, this is going to get thrown out. So this is just like fake news to me. I'm like, I'm not even concerned <laughs> about this. Um, I've been around long enough to know, like, mm-hmm, this will go through. Yeah. Um, all these tools, they're great. It's awesome to learn them, but the tools don't make you uh, anything except a, a tool user, yep. right? It's the thinking. It's the knowledge you have. Um, those are the real tools that are going to take you through your career and they don't expire. They don't, they don't get taken over by Adobe. You know, Um, that's the stuff that's going (laughs) to move you through. (laughs) Yep. Well said, well said that tell people all the time. UX is a tool agnostic discipline. You may use tools to get your work done, but don't be dependent on them because it'll be taken away from you in a heartbeat that, that went the first, well, not the first, but the first enterprise prototyping tool was iRise. Which I can never afford. I was like, man, that's expensive. <laughs> it used to be $100,000 just to it's set up the insane. server to be able to look at your designs. You couldn't look at your designs unless you established a server. So only companies willing to spend that six figures were getting iRise. But where are they today? They got, they got Axure grows up. Yeah. You didn't need a special server. You could get it for $350, $400 some odd dollars, and companies were buying Axure. Bye-bye iRise. I just found out iRise still exists. I thought they were gone. iRise still exists, and they're trying to follow the model that everybody else has now. Oh, subscription? Yeah. So, but they're not, well, they don't have, they probably don't have their logos on NASCAR vehicles anymore like they started doing. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, okay, how long is this going to go on? It wasn't much longer before before Axure yeah. came on the scene and blew him away. So there's always some too. You know, Sketch was all the rage. What was that? Just a few years ago, wasn't it? Just a few years ago. I, like I said, I still use Sketch <laughs> for my little personal stuff, but my team is moving over to Figma. Yeah. Um, just, you know, because at the time, this is has the most robust um, universe around it and the tool set, right? But I know that there's going to be new stuff, yep. right? It, it's going to happen. I... Who knows what Adobe is going to do to it? Yeah. You know, maybe maybe Adobe will actually get uh, it right and and take the best parts of XD and merge them to Figma and maybe add what Envision used to be and actually make a truly useful, uh, you know, fully fleshed out UX tool. Wouldn't that be amazeballs? But, you know, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it'd be wonderful. But but this is it, folks. This uh, toxic positivity. I did a blog post on it where we talked about it. We took time to try to address it from several angles on today. We we encourage it. Make sure as we begin to wrap up, make sure that you are embracing critical thinking as Debbie Levitt would say, always keep your critical thinking hat on. Mm 
Yeah. Uh, make sure that you're engaging in academic thinking. Don't be afraid to ask questions to get more clarity. Uh, if something, if you hear something and it makes you uncomfortable or uh, you're dealing with that, that uh, the, with the bias that when people hear something, all of a sudden I forgot what it's called. But when you hear something, people just automatically believe that the first thing they hear is true. Privacy effect. Yeah. Yes. So like, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't get ostrich effect bias where you hear something and want to go stick your head in the sand because you're trying to avoid it because ostrich effect bias to an extent is akin to toxic positivity in that you don't want to hear anything that violates what you had already embraced. You don't want to hear anything that, that contradicts, especially when they pro when they roll out the evidence and you know what they're saying is accurate. You just stick your head in the sand because you don't want to deal with it. These things are problematic. You're about to say, no, I was saying I, I said primacy effect, not ostrich. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about there, there's two. Done- there is, there is, I, yeah, because I know there's ostrich effect is one. We know. No, what are you co- talking about? Where you, where you, you anchor on the first thing? Anchoring, primacy. anchoring bias. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, you know, anchoring bias is a threat. We need to do a show just talking about biases. I, I want to do a whole oh, thing. This is like my favorite thing. It, it's yeah. I want to go through that big wheel. The big famous wheel that's out there oh, with like 128 goodness. different biases. I would love to go through every There's over last. 250. Oh, God. Uh, so you can just be here. All <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, start off with this one. Design for cognitive biases. Why am I blurred? But I still love this little book. Ah. Uh, the one from David Dylan Thomas. This uh-huh. is, and it's such a short one. You could just eat this up. This is a good one. Uh, Stephanie Walter actually has. Oh, the um, little cards. 52 biases cards. Yes. So yes. she's got that. And then uh, the website that I'm pulling a lot of the information for the curriculum that I'm doing right now. Oh, the Decision Lab. This is a great website. Okay. It covers like in depth these biases and like tells you um, like the science behind them, um, you know, how they affect you as an individual, how they affect, you know, s- systems, mm-hmm. um, why it happens, why it's important and how to avoid it. Fantastic website. It's called awesome. the Awesome. Highly recommend. I, I remember seeing that. Yeah, that is good stuff. Yeah. Folks, this is part of what it means to engage in these things and to become well-versed in these things. And most importantly, to apply these principles so that we're in alignment with the excellence reflected by them. This is what we need to do today. Don't be part of the toxic positivity crowd because it is it will detrimentally impact you. Uh, you will end up, if you embrace toxic positivity, you will do something that a stakeholder or a client or a leader will see it, recognize it, and now you've got a problem because they they will see what you're doing because you are a representative of UX. You are an ambassador. We are all ambassadors of UX. And when you reflect toxic positivity, you're setting us back. So, And, and we've all done something, I'm sure, at some point in time where we did we just want to collectively, it'd be great if we all just start taking the discipline forward because today we're not. We're And so uh, this is a serious topic. Uh, I know we got a lot of laughs looking at some of these things today, but it's a very serious topic. So we encourage you, please embrace it. Uh, please, please make sure that you're doing what you can, that you're not operating in toxic positivity and, and we'll all be better off for it as individuals, as teams, as organizations, and as a discipline today. So uh, Michelle, what closing words do you have for us today? Um, I would say just 
Be willing to question everything that you see around you, even the thoughts in your own head. Ask yourself, is this true? And I think if you learn to do that and you do it over and over again, it'll just become natural. You will be better able to um, reject nonsense when you see it, right? You'll be, even if it's nonsense in your own head, um, you'll you'll get better at it. You will start employing critical thinking more and you'll grow more. You cannot grow if you're not willing to feel some pain and to be uncomfortable and just embrace it. And it's okay to be wrong Yep. and to admit it to other people. People respect you more when you admit you're wrong. There's a, there's a little tidbit for you. Uh, they respect you more. Uh, that's why all those televangelists who go on TV and cry and go, oh, I was bad. I, had, I, I did something naughty. And then their followers love them more. Uh, it's because we respond to that as human beings. We respond to vulnerability in, in people. And we actually have more respect for people who are willing to admit that they're not perfect than people who never admit that they're wrong. Yep. So there, there's a little bit of little tidbit for you. <laughs> don't, But don't be a televangelist. Don't do that. <laughs> So, folks, but that's all the time. Thank you again, Michelle, for joining us today. Uh, we're, we're very happy always to share. And we got to come back. That that topic you talked about, I hope you wrote that down. So oh, which one? Time. You know I'm a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll find it. We'll, we'll document it. We'll, we'll get back together. And, and uh, it's almost anniversary time. Three-year anniversary Woo-hoo. in a month uh, for the podcast. We got to do a series of, of anniversary uh, episodes where we bring back guests again. And so we'll... We'll uh, talk about some specific topics when we get back to that stuff. But yeah, thanks again for joining us today on Michelle. Thank everybody out there uh, who you're taking the time to partake of the podcast. Share the podcast. Folks, it's time. We keep saying it. Other people are joining me in this. It's time for truth to go viral. How about that as a novel idea? Uh, let's, Let's do what we can to help vault the discipline forward for everyone's sake. How about that today? So that's all the time we have for today. So it's time to sign off. This is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.